All right, folks, Steve Palmer here again with another Lawyer Talk Q&A. This series has taken off, and I'm glad it is. Uh, folks are sending uh, lots of questions in to lawyertalkpodcast.com. I'm getting uh, emails upstairs at the law firm at ohiolegaldefense.com. We're getting calls. Uh, it just uh, They're coming at me in all directions. And what is Q&A? Well, I decided uh, a couple of months ago to start answering the questions that I get regularly in little bite-sized chunks instead of uh, burying them in the roundtable uh, long form discussions, and that's what we're doing here today. We're uh, to get right to it. Uh, Frank submitted a question at lawyertalkpodcast.com, and this is right in my wheelhouse. This has to do with my practice area, uh, which is criminal defense and, and DUI defense, and really all things uh, related to criminal law. Uh, and here's the question Can you explain any possible charges that can be filed against you if your BAC is less than 0.08, but the police pull you over for a DUI? Second part of the question. Can you be prosecuted and convicted if law enforcement deem you too impaired to drive when stopped, regardless of BAC being less than 0.08? And then finally, if all of this is true, if the above is true, would not agreeing to participate in field sobriety testing avoid this possibility if you feel that the BAC is less than 0.08, i.e. requesting a breathalyzer blood test but no field sobriety test? Well, there's a lot to unpack there, but we can make it simple. Um, First of all, let's just sort of uh, give you my spiel here. Uh, If you were to come in for a DUI and you want to start at the beginning and you want to know what's going on, Ohio calls it OVI. Generally, what I tell people when I talk to them is that Ohio, like probably most, if not all states, there are two basic categories of OVI. There's two ways you can be charged. The first is the impaired charge. This is uh, like what your grandfather would have been charged with. You're just too darn drunk to be driving. Uh, Here you have like field sobriety tests unsteady on your feet, strong odor of alcohol, bloodshot eyes, slurred speech, trouble getting in and out of your car, maybe a fumbled for your license and paperwork, insurance, uh, registration, etc. Maybe you puke in the back of the police cruiser, maybe you pee your pants, uh, maybe you just fell asleep at the wheel at Taco Bell. Uh, who knows? There's just lots of reasons why you might look and appear to a police officer too impaired to drive. In this scenario, the prosecutor, after you're charged with a crime, will have to prove that you were appreciably impaired by alcohol and or some other drug of abuse. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not allowed to drink a few drinks and drive. You have to be appreciably impaired. And if the prosecutor meets this burden of proof, then in theory, you would be found guilty of OVI or drunk driving in Ohio. The second category of OVI offenses in Ohio, we call it a per se violation. That means it just is. It's a violation if you are driving a car with a prohibited blood, breath, or urine alcohol content, or uh, a prohibited content of some other drug of abuse. Won't go into those. Let's stick with alcohol for now. What that means is if you submit to a breath test, if you submit to a urine test, if you submit to a blood test, and the result is above the legal limit, it is, an, it is a per se offense. It is DUI, OVI, as it is. The prosecutor only need prove there's a test result above the legal limit and that you were driving. Only those two things. You could you could look, you could appear, you could be completely uh, sober, but if you have a prohibited blood, breath, or urine alcohol content, it is a crime to drive. Now, I seem I tend to think that this is uh, designed to address the guy or the gal that we all know, the person who can drink thirty beers and, and hold their liquor, so to speak, that you don't even know uh, because maybe they're just really good at it. They got a high tolerance. They've just been doing it a long time, or maybe they just uh, naturally uh, don't have the same. Uh, signs of impairment as the rest of us do. But we all know those people, the people that have drank 12 beers and you don't even know it. And if it comes to light, 
that the police asked this individual to take a blood, breath, or urine test. The result is above the legal limit. It's a crime to drive, even though they are not noticeably impaired. Now, how does all this work? There's two different offenses. They're both called OVI. Uh, What do we do about all that? Well, here's the rule. You can be charged with both. So if you're pulled over and you look impaired and you have a test result above the legal limit, you're going to be charged with both. You can even be convicted of both, but you cannot be sentenced on both. They would merge or come together for purposes of sentencing. But as a practical matter, if you just go plead guilty or uh, enter in some plea agreement, prosecutors almost always will dismiss one uh, in favor of a plea to the other. And there are reasons why they might pick one over uh, the impaired over the per se. But uh, again, we don't need to go into that for the purposes of the question. Now, with that backdrop, let's, let's hit this question. So what if I'm pulled over and uh, I register a result on the breath test below the legal limit in Ohio for most adults, it would be 0.08. It is different for juveniles. It is different for those in a CD or driving a commercial vehicle with a CDL. Um, but for our discussion, let's just assume you have a test result below 0.08. Now, the police can still charge you with the impaired violation. They can still charge you with OVI because they think that you look impaired. Uh, now, they may be Uh, noticing that you're unsteady on your feet, that you look tired, that you look sloppy, that you smell like booze, that you have uh, uh, bloodshot eyes, whatever the normal signs are, they will charge you with that impaired violation even though you later submitted to a test and registered a result below the legal limit. Now, you notice I said later there because here's what's important to uh, understand, and, and that's the timeline of these things. If the police officer pulls you over and smells alcohol and thinks that you might have had a little too much to drink or is even on the bubble, the, the police officer is almost always going to err on the side of caution. That is caution in his favor, not yours. He's going to arrest you for OVI, and he's going to charge you with that impaired violation. Now, let's say he, uh, uh, he, he turns out he's wrong. He gets you down to the station house, and you blow into the machine, and it registers a .05, so you're, you're below the legal limit. He's not going to just drop the case. You know, he still has to justify everything that he's done. And uh, he's still going to send the case over for prosecution. That means he's going to file the complaint, the the uniform traffic citation, accusing you of impaired OVI, uh, just not the per se because you registered a result below the legal limit. So he's going to charge you anyway. And, and the timing again is important because if he didn't get you down, if he didn't have enough to uh, justify taking you down to the police station, then it's sort of going to be hard for him to backtrack and say, well. You know, I was just guessing or I just hoped or whatever the situation would be. What they're really going to do in practical terms is really push, they're they're going to push that impaired charge to justify why you're there in the first place. Now, it's important to note that these things don't, they don't show up in a vacuum. The prosecutor is going to know the situation. The prosecutor is going to know that there was a a breath test below the legal limit later on when when it gets to court. And that's going to be a huge consideration as the case is negotiated and defended. So if somebody comes into me with a test result below the legal limit, uh, that's a great uh, set of circumstances for us to defend. Now, it sucks for the client because here they are charged with an OVI, and they don't think they should be because they actually did the right thing. They didn't drink too much. Uh, they registered a result below the limit, and here they are charged anyway. Um, that's the bad news. The good news is we can defend it. We're going to go to the prosecutor and say, hey, what gives? we got a guy with a test result uh, below the limit. Your, your police officer charged him anyway. Um, you know, the case ought to be dismissed or there ought to be some resolution. But here's the issue. Prosecutors don't like to give up the case completely. It's really difficult to get a case completely dismissed. They may offer a reckless op or some other lesser type of offense 
uh, that is a substitute for the OVI conviction. And that's a bitter pill to swallow. I'm working on right one right now where a, a gal was driving. Uh, she was not impaired at all. She had not uh, consumed any alcohol before driving. Uh, the police, uh, for various reasons I won't get into, thought that she had. They charged her with an impaired OVI, put her in cuffs, dragged her down to the cop house, made her submit to a blood test, and the results come back negative for everything. She's snake eyes on everything. There is no uh, prohibited substance in her blood, and now I'm defending the case. And it's really difficult to get a prosecutor to say, well, you know, our police just screwed this one up. Uh, So they want some sort of plea to something like a reckless op, and it's really difficult uh, to get your head around that as a client. And it's hard for me as an attorney to say, go ahead and do that. Now, there are other reasons why we might. It might not be worth the headache. It might not be worth the money to go fight a case like that. Uh, sometimes they require experts. Uh, it just, uh, it, 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 it sucks, maybe is the best way to put it. Uh, so there is that consideration. Now, uh, so first of all, that, I think that answers the first part of the question, which is, can you still be charged even though you register result below 0.08? Well, the answer is yes. You can be charged and prosecuted and convicted if uh, the prosecution proves that even though your blood alcohol level, breath alcohol level, or urine alcohol level was below the legal limit, you were still impaired and shouldn't have been driving. Now, it's a much more difficult case for them. And I should say one more thing about this, uh, and this is uh, not necessarily good for the defense. We can't typically just say to the jury, if I'm trying this case, hey, look, ladies and gentlemen, this person had a blood alcohol content of 0.05. That's below the legal limit. That means he was not impaired. Um, There's a reason for that, because BAC blood alcohol content doesn't necessarily equate to impairment. So somebody could have a BAC of 0.17. This is the drunk guy or the, uh, the guy that can hold his liquor we were talking about. Uh, while other people can have a much lower BAC and still be impaired. You know, it, it, it doesn't necessarily, cor- necessarily correlate. And in order to get it correlated, you would have to get an expert toxicologist to come in and discuss uh, and give his or her opinion on uh, impairment and how that relates to how much alcohol somebody consumed. It gets sort of tricky. Um, now, the same is true for the prosecutor. If you have a higher test that later got thrown out or maybe it was inadmissible for one reason or another, they can't just bring that in. Uh, without expert correlation. So it does cut both ways. It typically cuts against the defense, though, I think. Uh, maybe that's my perspective because this is only what I do. But uh, at any rate, that uh, keep that in mind as well. But generally, you can be convicted of an impaired driving offense even though your BAC was below the legal limit. It is, however, much better to have a low BAC than it is to have one above the legal limit. Now, before we go to the next part of the question, I'm going to insert my own question into the question uh, because I think it's relevant here. Is it better to have a, uh, a test result below the legal limit or just refuse? Well, uh, here it all depends. Uh, I would, I think it's better in the long run if I have a test result below the legal limit if I'm defending the case. So if you're below 0.08, I'd much rather have that than a flat-out refusal. And the reason is refusals can look like you're trying to conceal guilt. It looks like consciously you know you're too impaired. You don't want to take that test because it's only going to incriminate you in the sense that it's going to show a blood alcohol content above the legal limit, and you're just worried about that. And it's really easy to draw that inference. In fact, in Ohio, you can even get a jury instruction against you that talks about that, that uh, if you refuse, uh, the jury can consider that uh, as evidence that you were worried about the outcome of the test result. 
So uh, sometimes it's better to have a low test than a refusal. Now, that doesn't mean that if you think you're going to fail the test, you should take it. I, I always tell people, uh, especially on a first offense or particularly on a first offense, um, you do not take a test that you can't pass. So if you've had 10 beers, don't fool yourself. You ain't passing the test. Uh, that's a question for another day, perhaps. But uh, so would I rather have a refusal or a, a test below the limit, a test below the limit with a caveat, with a warning that uh, you don't always know when your test is going to be below the legal limit. Now, if you had the, the actually had only one beer, only one small glass of wine, you're probably going to be below the legal limit. But again, don't fool yourself that you had, you know, five or six beers and it's only been an hour and a half or two hours. Your body does two or three. If you have to start doing that kind of math, uh, you're right on the edge at best. And it's probably not worth it. I'd rather have the refusal. Now let's get back to the rest of Jack's question. He goes on to ask, if the above is true, would not agreeing to participate in field sobriety tests avoid this possibility if you feel that your BAC is less than 0.08? In other words, could you avoid having the impaired charge uh, filed against you with a lower, or if you have a, a BAC less than 0.08 by simply doing field sobriety tests? Well, here's the problem with that. Uh, you're probably not going to pass the field sobriety test. It's very difficult to pass the field sobriety test if for no other reason that you don't know how you're getting scored. You're not told the grading scale. You're not told what clues the police are looking for as they have you do these things. These tests are designed to trick you. They're designed to divide your attention in order to trip you up, no pun intended. And if you think you're going to pass, be careful. Uh, be careful. Even people who have had nothing to drink can screw up these tests. And, and conversely, people who have been drinking all day who are really drunk can actually do pretty well on the test, particularly if they're professionals, if they're, if they're good at being drunk and performing. Uh, that's just how it is. So don't think that you can just agree to a field sobriety test and pass with flying colors. That's not necessarily the case. The police are looking for clues of impairment. Now, let me say that again. The police are looking for clues of impairment. They are not looking for clues that you are uh, completely sober. They're not trying to establish sobriety. They're trying to establish impairment. And think of the confirmation bias. They're not going to note all the good stuff you did. They're going to note only the stumbles, the fumbles, not touching heel to toe on step eight maybe putting your foot down a little bit as you figured out what the test was uh, doing to your body. So it's it's not so simple. I would not say uh, go ahead and do field sobriety tests if you think that your BAC is less than 0.8. And again, going back to what we discussed a few moments ago is that you don't always know if your BAC is less than 0.8. If you, again, if you had the one beer two hours ago, well, I think you can be reasonably certain that your BAC is less than 0.8. But you don't know if you've had like four or five beers where it is. And I'll say one more thing uh, about that is that it, you're generally not going to be asked to do field sobriety tests. You're not going to be in this situation if your BAC is truly uh, that low. Uh, if you've had one beer two hours ago, it's, it's likely that the police won't even know. Uh, now, you could say if they did, and, and let's just assume and create some hypotheticals that you had two beers, you still smelled a little bit like alcohol. And now you're sort of in that spot that you don't know what to do. Should you take field sobriety test? Should you not? Well, I don't know your metabolism. I don't know where somebody would fall in the equation on this. But if you are sure that you're under the legal limit uh, and you want to go ahead and take field sobriety tests, well, I guess more power to you. But uh, again, I, it's very difficult for me to ever accept that somebody is sure because if you're sure, that means you've contemplated it and you have some question within. 
Um, now I know that's a circular argument, but I think you get what I'm saying. Uh, now, and, and then finally, you, you don't really get to request a breathalyzer or blood test uh, they right out of the chutes. I mean, th- there is a such thing as a portable breath test, and it is used as a tool for officers to determine uh, if uh, they have enough to arrest you for OVI, but it's not an evidentiary tool So you get a that can be used in court. So you get a result on a portable breath test at the scene of the stop. It's not really coming into court, and it's not it's not considered reliable for forensic purposes, which is fancy lawyers speak for courts don't look at it as uh, gospel. There is one more consideration, then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Uh, if It's not always the case that somebody is impaired with alcohol, particularly these days. We have medical marijuana in Ohio. So if you're under the influence of marijuana or if you uh, have smoked marijuana or consumed THC in, in some way, shape, or form, uh, you may have THC in your blood or urine. Uh, this presents a whole nother problem. So if you um, say you're on medical marijuana, you use it every night for sleep, and you get pulled over uh, before you used it, or it's at 9 o'clock and you haven't used it for that evening yet. In this situation, the police may say, well, you know, we don't think he's under the influence of alcohol, but maybe there's something else at work here. Maybe there's some uh, drug of abuse, and they arrest you uh, alleging signs of impairment uh, either uh, through their observations or through field sobriety testing. And then they take you down to the police station and they watch you pee in a cup or they take you to the hospital uh, or somewhere to get a blood test. And uh, now you've got a THC metabolite result above the legal limit and you're back right into the fryer. So there's lots to kick around, lots to consider, and I think it goes beyond the um, the scope of the question. But really, great question. I appreciate Frank uh, reaching out at LawyerTalkPodcast.com. I hope I've covered the topics um, uh, that you wanted and, and, and hit it all. I think I have. If you have any follow-ups, obviously, just uh, feel free to reach out the same way you did. Now, uh, anyone else who has questions, anyone who has a topic you want us to discuss, either me individually here at the Q&A or over at the roundtable with the rest of the crew, uh, it's easy. Just reach out, lawyertalkpodcast.com. If you like what you're getting here, if you think it's awesome, well, then support us. Go to uh, Podcast World, subscribe to our podcast at Apple, hit, give us five stars or whatever it is you do, uh, wherever it is you go for podcasts. Uh, give us a great review. Um, if you really, really like us, we do have a Patreon account. Uh, you know, if, if, if any support is is welcome and uh, I'm going to keep bringing this content one way or another but it does take time it does take a little bit of effort I'm here right now at six in the morning getting ready for my work day uh, answering questions and I'm happy to do it Uh, so if you want to support us easy to do if you want your own podcast easy also go to channel511.com we'll hook you right up with Brett over at circle 270 media he'll give you the consultation you need he'll get you set up he'll get you started uh, whether it's for business whether it's for fun whether it's just uh, as a project or an experiment or a hobby he can help. Uh, so we're going to wrap it up with that. This is Lawyer Talk Q&A, off the record, on the air, at least until now.